to start with some prayer today. Is that all right? Because <laughs> guess what we get to do? We get to do the whole chapter of 13 in Romans today. So we have a lot of, of stuff to cover, and uh, we are going somewhere. So let's pray about that journey. Father, thank you that you have given us the space, that you've given us the privilege of gathering together to hear you, to be with you, to worship you, and to allow you to change our hearts and change our minds. So Lord, I pray that as we dive into your word today that um, we would settle into it and we would allow it to sink in like dew on the fresh grass. Because we know that's coming. (laughs) So we thank you, Lord, for this moment. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I'm excited about this. Um, I'm excited and I'm terrified um, because there's, when you love to study the word and you get a whole chapter, it's just brutal to try and figure out what to highlight from a chapter um, when you want to be able to do the whole thing, but it would take years and years, but we know we've already taken years with Romans, so we're going to get through chapter 13 today. And as we do that, I'd like to ask us to keep two things in front of us. Um, A couple of weeks ago, Heidi McClure preached and one of the big takeaways from what she was talking about with, with missions was that we would see others. Because we need to be seen, don't we? We need to be known. We need to know that we're not lost, we're not forgotten, that we're not orphaned, that we're seen, and that we have a place and we have a people. It's so important to be seen. And she said, if we could get ourselves as followers of Jesus to see others as Jesus sees them, how we could change the world with that. And then last, was it last week, Brendan talked on love your enemies? Ouch. Love your enemies. But there's something Brendan said that was so extremely profound. And he said, love is the only thing that creates. And I think we need to keep that in front of us as we enter into chapter 13, that love is the only thing that creates. And we are to love our enemies as Jesus would love them. So can we keep those two things in in our minds as we enter into chapter 13? So as we go to chapter 13, I do need to just highlight a couple of verses because we're not going to read the whole thing. Um, Wouldn't that be terrible if I just sat here and read chapter 13 to you? Actually, no, it probably wouldn't. But we have more to talk about than that. So verse 1 is the one I want to highlight. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. How many of you like to hear that? Especially in today's world. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. Doesn't that sound a little contradictory? Subject yourselves to the governing authorities, but there's no authority except from God. So where does the authority come to tell us, let every person be subject to the governing authorities? You see, in the context of this letter, we are in Rome. It's a letter to to Rome. And they are in political chaos. It is a mess. They are a political mess. They are wanting to take over the world. And how are they wanting to do it? They're wanting to do it with the sword, with violence. They're wanting to do it with fear. They're wanting to do it with intimidation. These are their weapons that they are using 
to, to expand their kingdom. What does this mean for the followers of Jesus? It means persecution. It means burning at the stake. It means being crucified. It means putting, being put in the Colosseum. We're going deep really fast here, guys. Hang in there with me. It means being put in the Colosseum and for, with the lions. They're being persecuted. Why? Because they're opposing Rome. They're opposing what they're about. They won't bow down to their king because they know whose king they, they really serve. They've got, and then you've got the zealots that are, they're followers of Jesus, but they think that they should overtake Rome. So they get the swords. They want to fight. I mean, it's just this mess, and all of this stuff is going on. And here then we write, we read, Paul tell them, be subject to the governing authorities. It would make me go, what? And it does make me go, what? Even today. It's, it seems so parallel, doesn't it? With the political chaos that Rome was in to the political chaos we're in today. It seems so fitting for 2019. As much as it did in A.D. You know, I don't know the right number. I'm going to guess 60, but I'm not sure. Do we have any veterans in here? Anybody that served in the armed services, David? Thank you. Thank you. I haven't, so please forgive me if I don't use the right language. But my understanding when you're in the armed services is that you have a commander. You have a platoon leader, or you have a commander, or you have a general, or you have a sergeant. You have somebody that's over you. And your job in the army is to do what? Do what they say. Take orders. Follow your orders. Don't break command. It's so interesting to me. I was said at first service, when Matt puts out the order of service and the songs that he chooses, we don't talk. We, there has been in five years that I've been here, maybe two times I've said to him, could you play this song after the message? Otherwise, he just picks them. And when I saw on the service that God of Angel Armies was on there, I'm like, he has no idea where I'm about to go with chapter 13. You see, because God is the Lord of hosts. He is the great commander of our army as Christians, isn't he? He's the one who has authority. He's the general over all of us. Sometimes I think we lose track of that because we'll say God is majestic and he's beautiful and we worship him, which is all good. But there's something else he is. He's the commander of the army. He's the one that we take our orders from. He's the one who has complete authority over who we are, what we are, what we're to be about. He's our general. It's so interesting because when he was before Pontius Pilate in John 18, he said, my kingdom is not of this world. Jesus is an army of another kingdom, and we're in it. We, as followers of Jesus, are in another kingdom, aren't we? This is not of our, don't you see that sticker, not of this world? That's what that means. We have an eternal destiny and an eternal kingdom. And as commander and king, he knows the battles. He also knows the weapons. He knows what we're supposed to use to fight the battle of the kingdom we belong to. And, beloved, it's not what we think it is. It's by his authority that we subject ourselves to the governing authorities because he said so. <laughs> How many of us as parents say, because I said so? Well, we have authority to say that, children. 
Because I said so. Because he said so. We subject ourselves. There must be a reason for it. Again, in Titus, he says this, Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, to show perfect courtesy toward all people. Why are we to be subject to these governing bodies that we don't even belong to because we're from another kingdom? To be ready for every good work. Here's my proposal. I think we're supposed to be subject to these governing bodies because if we're not, if we're trying to fight them, if we're, trying, if we're distracted by making them be what we want them to be, it's a distraction from our real mission. It's not where we're supposed to go. It's not what we're called to do. We are, about to, we are to be about the good work of the kingdom. And if we are, have lost sight of the good work of the kingdom, it is a distraction. And isn't that what the enemy wants to do? This is spiritual warfare language. That we would stay on track, that we would stay on course, that we would know what our commander is asking of us, and we would follow orders. You see, the early church didn't try to fix Rome. They focused on being the church. This, please hear, this is not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that we don't stand up for unjust things. But how we fight and the weapons we use must be different than the world. They must be different than the world. In the early Christian days, it looked more like this. There was this quiet Christian takeover of the way. It's been said, you can't rule the people of the way. They're free. You can't rule us because we serve a different king. We're free. In the early church, Christians outloved everyone. They outloved everyone. It's what made them different. It's what made them grow. It's what made them increase in numbers. They outloved everyone. I mean, we all love Brendan. But his whole family is struck with the flu. Who wants to go there? Maybe mom. Maybe. <laughs> Who, when the plagues hit the first century church, they were the only ones that went to treat people. Don't we want to do that? Don't we want to run? We want to, we want to run away. We want to get away from the illness. We want to lock our doors. If, if somebody happened to be in our house, how many of us get out the, the Purell disinfectant and we spray everything? In my young days, it was Lysol. Who remembers that smell after vomiting for four days? I mean, it's just gross. But we want to disinfect everything because there's no way we want that. It's not what the church did. The church went out to the streets and they got the people. And they brought them to their house. And they cared for them and they loved them. So that the world would look at him and say, what are you doing? You're weird. You shouldn't be doing that. There's documentation that the survival rate, when we're ill, the survival rate of being cared for, like t um, touched, a cold cloth, um, given water, different things like that in times of plague, was 20% greater. And the Christians did that. Their compassion, their love, their nonviolent, under the radar, non rebellious, non judgmental way is how the movement grew. 
How are we doing, church? It's a hard word. I'm so convicted. (laughs) This week has been challenging. But we have to stop and ask ourselves, how are we doing? It's very clear to us. There's a tension here for sure. Because there's this following just or unjust laws. In preparation for this, actually not even in preparation, a while ago, a month ago, a friend sent me a letter from Martin Luther King that he wrote in the Birmingham prison. It says, I think it's called A Letter from the Birmingham, Birmingham Jail. And he says this. He says, but I must confess, I'm not afraid of the word tension. You see, he was being criticized for the work he was doing and the way in which he was doing it. Because people were accusing him of raising a ruckus. And, you know, and so he was even within the Christian community, he was being criticized. And he said, I'm, a, I'm afraid of the word, I'm not afraid of the word tension. I've earnestly opposed violent tension. But there is a type of constructive, nonviolent tension which is necessary for growth. The early Christian church understood this constructive, nonviolent tension that was necessary for growth. So did Martin Luther King Jr. He was being criticized for not picking up arms and not fighting the way that the world thought he should fight. And he was a leader of one of the greatest movements of our country. He also says this, listen, I don't have this in writing, but one who breaks an unjust law must do so openly. This is where we are not talking about not trying to change, not being agents of change. But listen to what he says about it. The one who breaks an unjust law must do so openly, lovingly, and with a willingness to accept the penalty. I think there were four or five young people went and sat at a counter where it was whites only. It was against the law for them to be there. It's an unjust law. And they went and they sat silently. Willing to accept the penalty. Martin Luther King says this, I submit that an individual who breaks a law that's conscious tells him is unjust and who willingly accepts the penalty of imprisonment in order to arouse the conscience of the community over its injustice is in reality expressing the highest respect for the law. Be subject to the law. Be subject to the governing authorities. Our battle is fought differently, you guys. It's fought differently. When Jesus was delivered to be crucified, he himself was subject to the law wasn't he? He was accused of being an extremist, yet he knew precisely whose authority he was operating out of. In John chapter 19, Pilate says to Jesus in response to Jesus not answering his questions, so Pilate has Jesus in his, in his courts and he says, he's started to ask him questions. Well, Jesus, what about this? Well, Jesus, what about this? And Jesus sits in silence. And P- listen to what Pilate says to him, you will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? This is what Jesus finally says. You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. He's very settled and very clear 
of where his authority comes from and by whose authority he is operating. This nonviolence response under the authority given to him by God changed Pilate's mind about Jesus. We read that he um, went and sought to release him. He didn't succeed, but he couldn't. So it's by his authority, it's by the authority of Jesus that we subject ourselves. It's by his authority that we submit. It's by his authority that we obey. It's by his authority that we pay taxes. Come on, somebody. (laughs) Because he said it's right to do so. Our mission is not about changing the government with fighting the wrong way because we're of a different kingdom. We are ambassadors. Do you know that? We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. 2 Corinthians 5. Our mission must be clear. It's become more and more clear to me. It might be the older I get. I don't know what, but our mission is so clear that we are ambassadors that are here from another kingdom. This world is not our kingdom. Pray, that should make us rejoice. This is not our kingdom. We, we serve a different king in a different place. When a French ambassador comes to the United States and they are here to you know, talk with our, our leaders, they're not here to fix our government. They're not here to change the way we do things. They're here to represent France. They're here to represent France and what they're about and what they, what's on their heart and what they want. In the same way, we are ambassadors from another kingdom and we are here representing another system. We are here representing God who wants us to operate in a different way. It's our mission. And I think that we get really distracted from our mission. And of course we're Americans. I'm proud to be an American And by every sense of the word, I am. Paul was a Roman. By every sense of the word, he was a Roman. But he only played the card when it served the kingdom. He only said, but I'm of Rome, when he needed to. It wasn't first. It wasn't his first servant. It wasn't who he served first. So we've got this beautiful first part of Romans chapter 13 about submitting to the authorities. And when we can understand that we submit to the authorities because our ultimate authority is to Jesus and Jesus tells us to submit to the authorities, okay, that makes sense to me. I get that. But wait, Paul's not done. And we get to go into the second half of chapter 13. And mine is titled, Fulfilling the Law Through love. Two verses I want to highlight. Verse 8. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. And verse 9 says this, summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. This is our weapon. This is how we fight in our kingdom. We fight with love. Remember last week, Brendan said, love is the only thing that creates. Love is the only thing that will melt a heart. And it's not easy, especially when it's unjust, especially if we've been wronged. How many of us want to pick up a sword and 
cut someone's ear off. Not literally, but you know. You, you just, you, it's so natural to want to rise up and fight back. It's so natural. But our minds, are, the way we fight our battles, this, just this chapter on the heels of loving our enemies that are, and all the love responses that Paul gives us, it's how we fight our battles. And our mind must be a conduit of love. It has to be. When we respond and speak out against the things of this world, who has authority over our hearts? We have to stop and ask that, church. We have to stop and ask that. Who's, who has authority over my heart right now? Am I responding out of anger? Am I responding out of pain? That's not love. Out of judgment? That's not love. Rebellion? That's not love. It has to be out of love. It's the only way that the law is fulfilled. Everything Jesus did for us was out of love. We are to be in this foreign land and use the weapon of love because it's all about relationship. When someone comes at you with a sword, what do you want to do? Fight back, dig in your heels, prove your point. But it's so clear that we're supposed to respond in love. 1 John 4 says this, Let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God. And knows God. The kingdom of God is about agape-centered, healthy relationships. You know what else is said in 1 John 4? You say you love God, but you hate your brother? You're a liar. We got to turn this around, church. We got to turn this around. Because that's a tactic of the enemy. To have these self-centered, broken relationships is exactly what the devil's trying to use to distract us, trying to make us be our own gods, which goes way back to the beginning in Genesis. You, You could be your own god. You could know everything. That's what the enemy is trying to do. And the army of God needs to rise up in love. And we need to say, no, we're not gonna fight that way. This is how we fight our battles. Because our battle is not against people. Ephesians 6. For our struggle is not against the flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. When it says against the authorities, it doesn't mean our president. It means this is spiritual warfare language. That's what that is. That's who we're fighting. The things in the spiritual realm. How freeing is it To think, I don't have to pick up my sword and fight this giant monster. All I have to do is love. I think it makes our burden easy in the yoke light. Or however that is. I might have got that mixed up. There's so much in here in this chapter. There's so much in here about this age that we're in and the ages to come and how we're in the in-between places and whenever two worlds exist, there's always war, there's always conflict and this is all about spiritual warfare. We fight our battles on a spiritual level and it's about, so then we have to check our motives and our perspectives because love is the only thing that creates Love produces restored relationships. Love produces melted hearts. Love produces forgiveness, reconciliation. The sword doesn't. We can't fight somebody into these places. 
The only thing that can be done is drawn. They can be drawn in by love, by the love of Christ. Love is, produces people seeing the light and seeing Jesus. It produces the fruits of the Spirit, joy, peace, patience, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These are the things that are attractive. These are the things that made the first church grow. This is what we're about, and it's our, our mission as ambassadors of Christ. Sometimes when we have conflict, or when something is, just rises up in us and it makes us angry, just take any political issue that rises up and you can feel that anger in you. There's a reason for that. It causes us to action. It moves us to action. And that's good. But I think when Paul's talking about that, the law is fulfilled through love, we don't make a move until we're postured in love. We can't. When we move out of anything but love, it causes so much damage. And the world can't afford it anymore. For 300 years, the way grew in numbers, using love as their weapon. And then in 312 AD, Emperor Constantine was praised for becoming a Christian and helping Christians be brought into organized religion in partnership with Rome. I would think that the Christ, early Christians were relieved because the, the, the killings stopped and they had relief from that. They were rescued from being slaughtered. So they got what they wanted. But here's the thing about Constantine. He did this by offering Christians Roman power and a sword. Fifty years later, people were being murdered in the name of Jesus. There will be moments, you guys, where we get to decide because love is not love without a choice. We get to decide whether we're going to act kingdomly or like every other person who wants to have things their way. There's no shame because it's part of our fallen nature. But we have a choice. This is the battlefield where people will say, those guys are different. They don't operate as the world expects. Martin Luther King in this letter from the Birmingham jail, he was, the reason he was writing the letter is he was responding for people being critical of his movement, like I had mentioned, and nonviolence and love were termed as extreme. So he was labeled as an extremist because he was using nonviolence and love to advance his mission. And he writes this. He goes, I gradually gained a measure of satisfaction from the label. <laughs> At first he didn't like it. So I gradually gained a measure of satisfaction from the label. Was not Jesus an extremist for love? That's our commander. 
And he goes on to quote Jesus in some of what Paul wrote in Romans. So the question is not whether we will be extremists, but what kind of extremists will we be? Will we be extremists for love or for hate? Let me read you one other section. We must never forget that all three, the three people on Calvary's Hill, were crucified for the same crime, the crime of extremism. Two were extremists for immorality and thus fell below their environment. The other, Jesus Christ, was an extremist for love, truth, and goodness, and thereby rose above his environment. It's time for us to rise above our environment. And I think many of us do this already, but I think we still have a long ways to go. That's what I think. Because love always wins. And it's by Christ's authority. It's by Christ's authority that you have been deputized as ambassadors for him. You have been deputized as people in his kingdom to do his good work, to say, I refuse to be um, caught up in the ways of the world and I choose the way of the king, which is love. I choose love. That's the way the movement will grow. That's the way people will be drawn to Jesus. Speak in kindness, offer forgiveness. Love one another. Check our hearts. What's, what's driving us? We've been called to love. It's how the law is fulfilled. Jesus modeled it for us and called us to it. He says, by all authority given to me, go therefore. And he'll be with us always. He'll be with us always. This morning on the way here as we had... Uh, I, as I was, not even, actually, let me start over. This morning, at home, while I was getting ready, I had a picture of us taking communion today. And I thought about it, and I thought how empowering that Jesus would trust us to be his ambassadors. That he would trust us to be the ambassadors that go into a foreign land and represent his kingdom. And I thought, I saw this picture of us coming up for communion, and as we came up for communion, we kind of stood up just a little bit taller. Because he entrusted this to us, which is an honor, and it's a good thing. So as you come to communion today, just stand up just a little bit taller and know that you have been deputized as ambassadors of Jesus to be the love, to be his love to the world. He modeled it for us when he um, went to the cross and when he spoke these words at his last supper. On the night that he was betrayed, he took the bread when they were sitting there having dinner together. And he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body given to you. Eat this in remembrance of me. Don't forget what I have commissioned you to be about. Don't forget what I've told you for the last three years. Love fulfills the law. And in the same way, then, he took the cup of wine and he said, this is the new covenant. You don't have to operate out of the old way. There's a new kingdom here. And you're in. 
You're part of it. Do this in remembrance of me. It's a beautiful picture of Jesus commissioning his disciples and the church. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that uh, you are with us because <laughs> we can't do this without you. We thank you that you have modeled it for us so we have something to look to to say this is the way, walk in it. Lord, I pray that you would forgive us for the places where we have not operated out of love. And Lord, would you make us a body that, that that's how we operate, that we would be different, that we would be different from the world and we would do things differently that would draw attention to you. Pray over this communion. I thank you, Lord, that you have blessed it and you have prepared it for us. In Jesus' name, amen. continued praise our God who is always there who is our strength you hear me when I call you are my morning song though trouble fills the night it cannot hide the light whom shall I fear you crush the enemy Underneath my feet, you are my sword and shield. Those troubles linger still. Whom shall I fear? I know who goes before me, I know who stands behind. The God of angel armies is always by my side.
Lord, we thank you that you are by us. You are with us. You are always covering us, Lord. You are good. And we just proclaim that today, that we are going to stand in your victory. We're going to stand in a place of security because you are with us. You'll never leave us or forsake us. You are a strong tower that we can run into, and we are safe in you. 